we're in the book of John, and we're going through the seven I am statements and the seven miracles. And last time we did, I am the bread of life. That was set up by his feeding of the 5,000. Before that, there was a long wrangle with the Pharisees about his authority, where he says, I don't have any authority on my own. All my authority comes from my Father. What we're going to get to tonight is I am the light, and we're going to have a similar wrangle over authority. This is in the context of Sukkot. We've been sort of following the feast that he's been doing as we've gone through this. The last one was Passover. There's no mention here of Shavuot. So in chapter 7, and you don't need to go there, I'm just going to read the first two verses and then we're going to leave. All I'm doing is establishing a time mark. So after this, Yeshua went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. This is a time mark for you in the year. It's Shavuot, and of course he says, I'm not going up because they're trying to kill me. And then he later goes up secretly, and the miracle that he performs and the I am statement that he makes are both concerned with light. So in the Feast of Tabernacles, or Sukkot, one of the ceremonies that happens there is the illumination of the temple, where they get massive big menorahs, and I understand that the wicks for the menorahs were made out of the priest's old robes. In other words, you know, as your duty uniform wears out, you've got this linen cloth, and apparently they wove them into the wicks that were used to light up the temple. So this whole feast is associated both with water and with light. One of the things that he will say, and we're not going to cover this in any detail, is I'm now down to John 7:37, and I'm, I'm skipping ahead rapidly because I want to get to John 8. So on the last day of the feast, that is Sukkot, the great day, Yeshua stood up and cried out, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That again is in keeping with the theme of Sukkot. Because one of the things that happens at Sukkot is they have the water pouring ceremony. Where they send a guy down to the pool of Siloam and he gets a jug of water and he carries it all the way back up the hill and they pour it over the altar. So sort of the two big themes at this feast are light and water. He doesn't have an I am statement with respect to water, so I'm sort of skipping over that rapidly. The other thing that he's going to do is he's going to do one of his miracles. And in the process of declaring himself as the light of the world, he is also going to heal a blind man. So opening the blind man's eyes so that he can see the light goes in concert, if you will, with the theme of the feast and with the I am statement that he makes about himself. So the whole thing is fairly tightly structured. The other thing we're going to have here in chapter 8, one of my very favorite chapters in all of scripture, is we're going to have a wrangle again with the Pharisees over his authority. And you remember we had the wrangle with the Pharisees in chapter 5 where they kept asking, by what authority are you doing this, and how do we know your words are true, and all that kind of stuff. And Yeshua then says that his father bears witness to him through the word, the written word, 
and John the Baptist bears witness to it. So he has two witnesses. So that's sort of all by way of setting up what I hope to get through tonight. So now I'm going to skip down to chapter 8, and most everybody's chapter 8 starts in the first 11 verses with the woman caught in adultery. My translation, which is English Standard, has it in double brackets, which is to say all versions of Scripture do not have that vignette. And it doesn't have anything to do with what I want to say tonight, so I'm going to skip right over it. And as I'm thinking about it, it really doesn't have anything to do with the flow of John. So I can understand how it might have been left out. Because one of the things that I'm discovering about John as we're going through these sevens is the whole thing is fairly tightly structured. These things that people have sort of read as, gee, this is an argument with the Pharisees, and then you get another soundbite, gee, he feeds the 5,000, and then you get another soundbite, gee, he walks on water, and you don't really connect it to the fact that the whole thing is a flow. And it's aimed to set up his statement that I'm the bread of life. And once you see that, then you see the flow of the book. And the woman caught in adultery, other than the fact that it happens in the temple at Sukkot, doesn't really fit into the flow of the story. So we'll pick it up at John 8, verse 12. Again, Yeshua spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That, of course, as everybody, I am sure, jumped immediately to with their lightning-fast minds, takes you back to John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So John, as he leads off his gospel, is talking about light being the life of men. So by the time we get down here to 8, where Yeshua comes in and says, I am the light of the world, what you should do is go back to John chapter 1 and recognize that this has all been set up from the beginning. And he is now going through and confirming something that was said about him at the beginning of the gospel. So verse 13. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Now that should remind you of what we went through back in chapter 5. As we were setting up the miracle of the loaves and fishes. And as we were setting up his statement that I am the bread of life. He had this same challenge to his authority and to his veracity. So now we're going to go into a rift where he is going to again defend his word and defend his truth and explain to them why they ought to believe him. Verse 14, Yeshua answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I came from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two men is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. Remember back in John chapter 5, who were the two witnesses? 
John the Baptist and God. And the witness of God was the written scriptures. In other words, the things he was doing were things that were prophesied in the written scriptures. So God himself bore witness to his authenticity, as did John. Now, why is it important that John would have borne witness to him? John is a Levite. He's a priest. And in order for the sacrificial lamb at Passover to be kosher, it has to be certified. So when the priest, John, says, Behold, the Lamb of God, what he is saying, as we will find out at the end of the Gospel, that is the sacrificial lamb. And it's necessary that a priest do that. So Yeshua, back in chapter 5, when he's defending his authority, calls on John, who is a priest, and is authoritative, and he calls on the written word as being his two witnesses. Now he calls upon the written word again, his father, and himself. Verse 19, They said to him, therefore, Where is your father? Yeshua answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury, as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. What we're setting up, obviously, is everybody knows the story of his birth. He has been causing a ruckus all throughout the country. He's been going around and healing people and doing miracles and all that kind of stuff. He's been teaching. He has got the temple power structure and the political structure in an uproar because if he turns out to be a false messiah, then they've got real trouble. So they have checked him out. This is not the first time they've encountered it. And they would have found out about him and known where he came from. In fact, when Nicodemus tries to defend him, they stare at Nicodemus and said, uh, hey, guy, the Messiah comes from Bethlehem, not from Galilee, as in, you dope. Why are you believing this guy? So all of this conversation about his parentage goes back to the virgin birth. And, of course, if you don't want to believe in him, then the virgin birth becomes Mary put over one of the greatest frauds in human history. So if you are a Pharisee and you're skeptical of this guy, your view of the story of his birth is yeah, right. Verse 21. So now he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Notice, unless you believe that I am he. So they said to him, who are you? Yeshua said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world that I have heard from him. They did not understand that he was speaking to them about the Father. So Yeshua said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing in my own authority but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, 
for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Okay, now this is, again, a reprise of what happened back in chapter 5. Remember where he says, I got no authority of my own. The only authority I have is the authority that I got from my father. And he's saying the same thing here. He's also calling himself the son of man, which is a messianic term. He is also saying, I am he. Remember back when he was talking to the widow at the well in Sychar? And she said, we're told that the Messiah is going to come. And he said to her, I who speak to you am he. So he uses that phrase several times. He's going to get stronger here in just a minute. So basically he's saying, I and the Father are one. I am doing the Father's will. The fact that you don't understand this is because you're not doing the Father's will. And if you were doing the Father's will, you would understand what I'm doing. So I'm now down to verse 31. So Yeshua said to the Jews who had believed in him, and I'm speaking to believers now, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, this is one of those Bible sound bites that people quote all the time. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That is the end of a conditional clause. It says, if you abide in my word, then you are my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So only those who abide in the word of Yeshua, of God, are truly his disciples and who know the truth. And those people will be set free by that truth. So as I say, it's one of these Bible sound bites that people just sort of flip off the end of their tongue and they don't typically state the conditional. 33, they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? In other words, what are you talking about? I am free. What is this become free stuff? Yeshua answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Does this sound like Paul in Romans? Sure. Where do you suppose Paul got it? Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. Right, now notice what he's done. He has said that those people who abide in sin are slaves. He says a slave cannot inherit. Only the son inherits. That sound like Hebrews to you? But this is essentially the argument that's made in Hebrews. And what Hebrews does is extends that argument so that those of us who are in Messiah become as sons, which means that we can inherit, which, by the way, is why Yeshua had to be born of a woman. In order for him to be our brother, he has to be born of a woman. In order for him to be without sin, he has to be born of God. He has to be born not mortal, because what Adam did when he sinned is he brought mortality into the world. So every child of Adam thereafter is mortal. We all die. Regardless of how good a life you live, everybody dies at some point, physical death. So Yeshua, by being born of the seed of God, of the Holy Spirit, does not inherit the mortality of Adam. Being born of Mary 
a human woman and entering the world by the proper gate, which is a womb, he now has the authority of humanity on earth because God gave us the authority over the place. That was the first thing he did. I'm giving you the keys to the place. I want you to subdue it. I want you to tend the garden. I want you to name all the bugs and animals. You're in charge. Okay? He's never taken that back. So in order for Yeshua, God, to reclaim the title to the earth, which was given to us at creation, it has to be taken in the hands of a man, which is Yeshua, which is why he has to be born of a woman. He also has to be God because he cannot be mortal because if he is mortal, then he dies like everybody else and he's not a sacrifice. So what Yeshua is saying here in the paragraph beginning in 34 is everybody who commits sin is a slave to sin. Slaves don't inherit, but the Son does. So now verse 36. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed, because the Son is the heir. 37. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. And now we've got two fathers here. We've got my father and your father. 39. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Yeshua said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing what Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Now notice the shift here. We have gone from my father to God. So again, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing what Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing what your father did. Again, notice that we've shifted. They've said, we are children of Abraham. And what he's saying is, no, you're not. You have a different father. They said to him, we are not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. They're calling him a bastard. In other words, this whole thing is, who's your daddy? What they're saying is, we know who our father is, Abraham. You don't know who your father is. Now, he's claiming that God's his father, but they're looking at him and saying, there's some sexual immorality that's been going on here, and we don't know who your father is. You're claiming God, but we don't know. Furthermore, we've heard things. As I say, they would have researched this guy's background. There's a lot of opposition research going on here. Now we're all the way down to uh, verse 42. Yeshua said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So you can see that this conversation is getting a bit chippy, which is why I'm suggesting that they are, in fact, calling him a bastard back up in verse 41. And he's saying, I'm not the bastard, you are. 
Verse 45. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. What he's saying is, your daddy's the devil, the devil's a liar, which means you can't stand the truth. So now we're down to 48. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Yeshua answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. By the way, never see death. What are we dealing with? He's using metaphors of light and sight. He's going to heal a guy that was born blind in the next chapter. At the end of healing the guy that was born blind, he's going to repeat that I am the light. So all of this is bracketed by the statement at the beginning of chapter 8, I am the light. Verse 52. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. They are quoting him inaccurately. So his words are, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Pharisees say, you just said, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. So the Pharisees have changed it because they're quoting what they think he just said. And now we're down to 53. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Yeshua has answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is your God. And this, this is pretty direct, I am the Son of God stuff. Verse 55, But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say I did not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced, that he could see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham? In other words, now we know you're crazy. Yeshua said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And of course, that takes you back to the burning bush where God says, I am what I'll be. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Yeshua hid himself and went out of the temple. So what he's saying is, not only is God my father, which in their estimation makes him slightly crazy, he's also saying, I am coexistent with God. Because before Abraham was, I am. And the thing about God is he has no time. Time is a created thing, the thing he made for us. We need time, he doesn't. So from God's perspective, I am. Or I was, I am, and I will be. Or however you want to say it. But you always get your tenses mixed up when you deal with God. And what Yeshua is saying is, I am. So now we're down to chapter 9. Yeshua hid himself and went out of the temple. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciple asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? this man or his parents, that he was born blind. Yeshua answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but 
that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So he's standing there and he's talking about day and night. He's claiming that he is the light of the world. They are standing in front of a blind man. All of this, which we started clear back in chapter 8, verse 12, where he starts off that I'm the light of the world, is now bracketed. And all of that vignette where he's duking it out with the Pharisees about who he is and who his father is and who their father is, is all in the context of him being the light of the world. Verse 3 again. Yeshua answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. This should remind you of Job. Job is a righteous man, minding his own business, not bothering anybody. And Satan makes a bet with God. Satan says, I can knock this guy off. And God says, I bet you can't. And Job just goes through terrible things. And the reason he goes through terrible things is because God knows that he is going to be strong and steady. He's going to whine a lot, but he's not going to give in. And in that, God is glorified in the heavenly courts because God says, my man Job is not going to cave. And Job doesn't cave, and in his not caving, he glorifies God. Now, Job didn't volunteer to have his whole family killed, to lose all of his wealth, to be covered in boils. He didn't volunteer for any of that. And the reason it happened to him is for the glory of God. And so you have this guy here that's born blind, and everybody's saying, who sinned? How come? And the answer is that the works of God might be displayed in him. So this guy has lived a life of blindness for the purpose of this moment when the glory of God is going to be revealed in him. Now, I will tell you quite frankly, that is not duty I would volunteer for. I mean, that's, that's tough duty. It really is. And you really got to sympathize with this guy, just like you do with Job. So verse 4, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva, and he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. And he said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back to see it. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but it's like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes open? He answered, The man called Yeshua made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I don't know. I'm not going to go through the rest of the dialogue. The temple hierarchy is going to give him the third degree, give his parents the third degree. They're really going to try and find something against this guy. And the thing they're going to find out about this is what? Anybody know? He did it on the Sabbath. So this is the next fight that Yeshua picks with the Pharisees. When he healed the man, he did it on the Sabbath, and he did it to pick a fight. Remember the guy at the pool of Bethesda? He heals him on the Sabbath, 
And the guy goes off back to the temple authorities. I've been healed. Well, who healed you on the Sabbath? I don't know, but this guy healed me. And then out of the blue, Yeshua walks up to this guy and taps him on the shoulder and says, go and sin no more. And he says, oh, it's you. And he then turns around and rats him out to the temple authorities, right? So Yeshua is deliberately picking a fight. He could have just healed the guy and just sort of drifted off into the woods and nobody would have ever known the difference. But he deliberately does it on the Sabbath and he deliberately brings himself to the attention of the temple authorities because he wants the conflict. And he's going to come forward again and he's going to identify himself. And the whole purpose here is to pick another fight. And the fight is, what is the character of the Sabbath? Who's the Sabbath for? What's it mean? These fights are in the context of what is the essence of the Sabbath? You guys have got it wrong. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you the true essence of the Sabbath, and I'm going to do it in such a way that you can't ignore it. So now skip over all the third degree they give everybody, and now down to verse 35. Yeshua heard they had cast him out. So this guy had been thrown out of the synagogue now. Yeshua heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He had a messianic term. He answered them. And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Yeshua said to him, You have seen him. It is he who is speaking to you. So what he's doing is he is identifying himself as the Son of Man. We went through that earlier. 38. He said, Lord, I believed, and he worshipped him. Yeshua said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Ding, 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 ding. Where have you heard that before? Isaiah chapter 6, 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their eyes heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. In verse 39, back in John 9, Yeshua said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. So he is acting in the role here of a prophet. He is acting in the same role as Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. The nation is about to go into exile. And before the nation goes into exile, God sends a prophet who goes through the nation and tells them what the problems are and why they're about to go into exile. And he tells them in such a way that they will not be able to do anything about it. That's why he speaks in parables. By speaking in parables, he is going to tell them the truth, but he's going to tell them the truth in a way that they cannot act upon it because exile has been decreed. Verse 40. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Yeshua said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. So this is all in the context of this running gun battle that he's been having with the Pharisees and the temple authorities. In this vignette, he has declared himself, I am the light of the world. And that goes back to John 1, where we have John 1, 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So what you see here in this vignette in 
that happens on Sukkot, which is when they illuminate the temple, is all in the context of light and seeing and opening eyes and so forth. And it all goes back to John 1. Please consider becoming a sponsor. Please visit crimsonthread.com slash purpose for an explanation. explanation of what we're doing and perhaps to become a sponsor. Thank you.